We're going to get into the, the teaching of the Word today here at Kauai Bible Church. We've been in a teaching series called Shine, Making Room for Revival. And this is actually part seven of the series, and it is the final part of the series. And so if you missed any of the first six parts, I encourage you to go check out our website or podcast and, and, and you can get caught up. We've been dealing with uh, uh, revival in our own personal lives in the secret place. We've been dealing with calling the church back to life. We've been dealing with a revival of evangelism. That is the people of God. We need to uh, begin to pray for the lost in the secret place. And then to take that message outside of the secret place. And we are finishing up the series today. It is Pentecost Sunday. Hallelujah. For those that don't know, it was on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the first gathering of Christ followers as they had gathered to pray and to seek the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, Jesus said they were empowered for ministry. They would be empowered to preach the gospel, to lead people to salvation. They would be empowered to build the church and to create a movement around the world. And that Holy Spirit fell upon them. Peter uh, began to preach the gospel to a huge crowd. And out of that crowd, 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. And the first church was born on that day. And so the day of Pentecost, it's like the church's birthday. This is like a birthday party as we get to celebrate. But because the day of Pentecost birthed the church through a gathering of Christ followers who were praying together, we felt it was appropriate to end this teaching series on making room for revival, on rising up and being all that the church was meant to be, on letting our light shine in a dark time that people might be drawn to the kingdom of God. We figured that the, the best thing we could close with is calling the church to corporate prayer and understanding the power and the importance of corporate prayer and what can be accomplished. And so the title of the message today is If My People... And we're going to preach from a passage that might be fairly common if you've been in church for any length of time in your life. But let's go to the notes. If, if you don't have the notes, you can find them in our church app. Or you can also find them attached to this video if you're watching this video on our websites. But you can see the, the, the big picture point of our message today is this. Personal revival comes through personal prayer. And we've been dealing with that. Personal revival comes through personal prayer. We have been calling the people of God back to the secret place to experience that personal revival as they fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But corporate revival comes through corporate prayer. And so we can't just, just focus on the secret place and forget about the corporate gathering of God's people. That as God is reviving each one of us individually in the secret place, there is a calling together to pray together to see a very corporate revival, a very public revival begin to happen as the church begins to call out together. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. And we're going to read verses 13 and 14. 2 Chronicles 7, verses 13 and 14. What is happening here at this point in the history of Israel is that King Solomon, who was the son of King David, and it was King David's desire to build a beautiful, glorious temple to house the Ark of the Covenant and to be the resting place of the presence of God. But God wouldn't allow David to build it. Why? Because David had been a king of war. 
and he had experienced war and bloodshed throughout his reign as, as the kingdom of Israel had been established. But God said, I want you to gather everything for the temple because your son is going to build it. Because your son is not going to be a king of war. Your son is going to be a king of peace. And so King Solomon, after the death of David, did exactly that. He built the temple. And when the temple was done, they had a feast and a celebration and a festival. And they uh, consecrated the temple. And they anointed the opening of the temple. And as Solomon is praying at the opening of the temple, God begins to speak to him. And that is where 2 Chronicles 7 verses 13 and 14 comes from. Is God speaking to Solomon a very specific promise at a gathering place where God's people would come together to pray. And that's why corporate prayer is so important in coming together is because of this promise. Let's read it. Verses 13 and 14. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Now i got to tell you, when I, when I read this, I was kind of a math nerd growing up. I was into computer programming. That was actually uh, before I, I found Jesus and, and, and received my calling from God. I, I wanted to get into computers and computer design and, and software engineering. And that's what I was going to go to school for. And so when I read this passage, I actually hear a logic sequence. So all my computer programmers out there, all my geometry teachers, you're going to feel me on this, right? Logic sequences, which are like if-then sequences. Or in this case, I see an if-and-then. And so in your notes right across the top there, those first three blanks are if-and-then. You say, what's a logic sequence? Well, it would be something like this. If all boys are tall and Joe is a boy... Then, Joe is tall. Right? You following me? Some of you are having flashbacks and nightmares of high school right now, and you're like, stop it, Pastor. That's enough. This is God's own logic sequence. It's an if-and-then logic sequence. So, your three bullet points here are the same three words. If-and-then. If. So, God says in verse 13, if we are facing the consequences of sin. Right? And he talks about, if, if I have uh, shut up the heavens so there is no rain, if I have commanded the locusts to devour the land, if I send pestilence among my people, these are all consequences of sin. And so the people are facing consequences. And uh, what you find here in the Old Testament is a lot of times God's people, they experience the consequences of sin collectively. Right? It wasn't just one person. It was the entire people group. And I know we're much more individualistic today and we're all about the New Testament, which is about personal choice and it's about each person having their relationship with Jesus. But there is also a collective consequence that we face as the people of God when we have allowed sin to work within our body. When we have not been all that the church intended us to be, when we have not fulfilled the mandates of Christ, there is a collective consequence of sin. So if we are facing the consequences of sin and 
we will respond to God in the midst of those consequences, then God will move. If and then. God will move. And what happens when God moves? Look at verse 14. God says, then I will hear from heaven. So let's talk about this. God will hear. God will hear. But there's an important aspect to God hearing, and that is all of the ingredients are required. Right? In between the if and the then is the and. And God says, and my people who are called by my name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. All of the ingredients are required for any of my bakers out there, for any that like to, to do cakes or bread or anything like that. If you're making your batter or you're making your dough and you forget an ingredient, you're not going to get the outcome you're hoping for. Right? You follow the recipe, but for some reason, you forgot to put the eggs in. You're not going to get the outcome you're expecting. Or, you know, you follow the recipe, but what you thought was your sugar bin was actually your salt bin. And so you put two cups of salt into your cake. You're not going to get the outcome you were expecting. And I was a, I was a latchkey kid. I was raised by a single mom and and so I spent a lot of time home alone. And so, you know, you have a lot of time to get in trouble or do stupid things when you're home alone all the time. And I still remember vividly, I don't know why I remember this, but I just decided one day, because I was bored and I was home alone, that, that I was gonna make a cake. And so I just got a bunch of ingredients out and just threw them all into a bowl, throw some flour in there, you know, you get an egg in there, throw some stuff in there and mix it all together, put some green food coloring in it so it's going to come out like a green cake. And then I put it in the microwave, set it for a few minutes in the microwave. And all I remember is the hot steaming mess that came out of that microwave that looked nothing like a cake and smelled nothing like a cake. It did come out green, hallelujah, but tasted nothing like a cake. You can't just do what you want and then get the outcomes that you're expecting from God. All of the ingredients are required. So what are the ingredients here in verse 14? Well, he starts out by saying, my people, if my people will pray, you see, that's plural. It's one thing to say, well, I'm praying, right? So, so God should be moving because I'm praying. Well, yeah, but he says, if my people will pray. People is plural. And people is also unified. There has got to be a unity in the body of Christ that we would gather together and pray. Yes, it's amazing and it's critical that we all pray individually in the secret place. But it's just as critical that we would gather together and pray together as a people and that we would pray in unity. In Ezekiel 37, right after Ezekiel has the vision of the valley of the dry bones and has this vision of God calling the church back to life, in the very same chapter, the very next vision that he has, God says to him, and you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and write on it for Judah and for the sons of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel, his companions, 
Then join them for yourself, one to another, into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. Think about this. For generations, the nation of Israel had been divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom was Judah, and that's why he told them to write Judah on one stick. And then the other stick was the northern kingdom, which sometimes was known as Ephraim, sometimes was known as Israel. And, and that's why he said the other stick is the stick of Ephraim. And he says, I want you to take the two sticks and prophetically, I want you to stick them together. Why? Because in Ezekiel 37, 22, God says, I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. And one king will be king for all of them. And they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. God says, I am calling my people to unity and I'm going to bring the two sticks together and we're going to gather under one king. Now that prophetic word for the nation of Israel today is fulfilled for the church that we are supposed to be a unified people under one king and that king is Jesus. And that if we would gather in that plurality, and if we would be unified together as the body of Christ, we would fulfill the first ingredients. It also says, my people who are called by my name. Can we focus on that just for a minute? And I want to speak specifically, especially to our people of Kauai, to our people of Hawaii. Listen, what does the name of our state mean? Hawaii. Ha-vai-i. Ha means breath. Vai means water. And e means the one true God. That means that the name of our state is breath, water, one true God. Right? The breath is Jesus the Son. The water is the Holy Spirit. E, the one true God, is God the Father. The very name of our state is the Trinity. The very name of our state is the God that we serve. And so when we read this prophetically that says, if my people are called by my name, well, who better to be called by the name of God than the people of Hawaii? Called by the very name of the Trinity that we serve. And if you think about this, if you go back into the history of the Hawaiian kingdom, and especially at the time, once Hawaii had been discovered by so many different outsiders and new people began to pour into the islands. What did it take? What was the standard at that time to be considered Hawaiian? Right? Did you have to be born here? Did you have to be living here for a certain number of years? What did it take as all these outsiders were coming in? What did it take for them to be considered Hawaiian? Well, the answer is this. It was those who were willing to swear allegiance to the king of Hawaii were the ones who were considered Hawaiian. And doesn't that sound really similar? Who are those that are called followers of Christ? But those that are willing to swear allegiance to King Jesus, to be a part of his kingdom. My people who are called by my name. I believe that's why it is so critical there are prophetic words over the state of Hawaii that we will be known as the first Christian state. And there are prophetic words over the island of Kauai that the great revival of Hawaii will start on our island and spread through all the other islands. Come on, my people who are called by my name, the people of Hawaii, that we can gather together in unity. 
Be called by the name of Jesus. Be one in his kingdom and begin to cry upon the Lord. The second ingredient, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. The second ingredient is that we would humble ourselves. In the Old Testament, the word humble was synonymous with fasting. So one of the key ingredients of this corporate prayer is that we combine fasting with our prayer. If my people will humble themselves, that means if they will fast and pray, if they would be willing to separate themselves from food and from other things of this world for set periods of time, that we might have a greater intensity and a greater desperation for God. Right? Plus, there's just something very humbling about prayer in itself because it's recognizing that we depend on one that is greater than us, that we can't do this on our own. And then he says, if you will pray and seek my face. And so that's a key ingredient that we would pray together and that we would seek his face together, right? And there is a persistence to this. That's the blank in your notes is persistence, right? In Matthew 7, 7, Jesus said, I want you to pray and keep on praying. I want you to seek and keep on seeking. I want you to ask and keep on asking, right? And he doesn't just say, I want you to pray. He says, I want you to seek my face. That our gathering isn't just about asking for things. It's about seeking Him. About knowing Him and being close to Him. It's about hearing His voice and knowing His will. So that our prayers would be in alignment with His will. Not just simply what we want or what we're crying out for. That there would be a persistence that we would regularly and consistently seek the face of God. Regularly and consistently pray and cry out to Him. Right? You don't have to keep on seeking for things that you already have. You don't have to keep on seeking for things that are easy to find. There's a persistence that's required that we might lay hold of things that we don't have yet. That we might discover things about the character and the presence of God that we don't know yet. That we would pray and seek. And the final ingredient, that we would turn from our wicked ways. That there would be a corporate repentance. We've already dealt with in this teaching series personal repentance that each of us should practice on a regular basis. But here God is talking about a corporate repentance that all of us together as a church would recognize where we have fallen short as a church, where we have not fulfilled our role as the church, where we have allowed things in our midst that God does not want to be there as a church and as a church, we would repent. As a church, we would turn away. As a church, we would move in a different direction. And we would deal with things that maybe we haven't been willing to deal with before. These are the key ingredients to corporate prayer. And if we would do these things, then God will hear. And we know that if God hears, He moves. Because he is a compassionate God. He is a merciful God. He is a God who is passionate for his people. It says, then I will hear from heaven. And what? I will forgive their sins. God will forgive. God will wipe away the stain from the church. As the church, we are supposed to be the spotless bride of Christ. 
We are supposed to be the representation of Jesus here on the earth. We are supposed to reflect His glory. We are supposed to be the hands and feet to show His love. We are supposed to be the mouthpiece to declare His word and His truth. And so as a church, we have allowed complacency. And if as a church, we have allowed slothfulness. And if as a church, we have allowed uh, sin and, and, and lustfulness to come into the church, then we are not the spotless bride. But if we will fulfill all of these ingredients, then God will hear and then he will forgive. And we will be the church that we were meant to be, adorned in white, that we will actually have an influence on the culture and that we will actually be able to make an impact in people's lives. And finally, what will God do? He will heal our land. Let me invite the worship team to come back up today. What does God healing our land look like? Well, in the Old Testament, it was pretty easy to see. Because the corporate consequences that they faced were droughts, right? Locusts coming and devouring all the crops. I just read something about there's like going to be these, uh, um, what are they called, cicadas or grasshoppers or something that are going to come out from underground after like 17 years. I don't know, don't quote me on that, Google it yourself. But locusts devouring the crops, pestilence, which is sickness and plague working through God's people. So in the Old Testament, God healing their land was pretty obvious. The locusts would go away. The plague would stop. The heavens would open up and begin to rain to end the drought. So what does God healing our land look like today? Well, how about a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Today on the day of Pentecost that we would cry out corporately for a fresh outpouring of the Spirit, that the church would be empowered as never before to fulfill the work of the kingdom. What if God healing our land was a revival of salvations? That we see more and more people coming to Christ, even in a culture that is more and more difficult to share the gospel in. We would see a revival of salvations. Many people coming to know Jesus. Many people entering into discipleship. What if God healing our land was the breaking of spiritual strongholds? What if we were began to experience victories in areas where Satan had control, whether it was an area of control in our society or an area of control in our lives or an area of control around our church? What if we broke those spiritual strongholds and what if in the breaking of those spiritual strongholds, we saw families restored? And what if we saw families that had been ravaged by addiction and families that had been ravaged by divorce and families that had been ravaged by, by abuse and domestic violence and, and families that had just been ravaged by sin being restored and coming back together and finding the joy of the Lord together? Come on, I'm getting a little bit excited here. I hope you are too. What does God healing our land look like to you? Well, here's what I'd like to do today. I'd like us to pray. Now, I know it's a little odd doing corporate prayer when you're listening to this on a podcast or watching this on a video. But I'm going to invite you through whatever medium you're using to join us together in prayer right now on the day of Pentecost that we would begin to cry out together and unified for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
Cry out for a revival of salvations. Cry out for a breaking of spiritual strongholds. Cry out for a restoration of families. Come on, right now, just join me. Begin to cry out for the Holy Spirit. Begin to pray for Him to come and to flood this place. To begin to flood the church. Oh, a fresh outpouring. Oh, a fresh wind blowing. Come on, right now, Holy Spirit. Oh, would you come? Would you blow upon us, Lord? Oh, God, the church has operated too long in her own strength, Lord. Oh, the church has operated too long and just going through the motions, Lord. Oh, we need your spirit. We need a fresh outpouring. We need power, Lord. Oh, for the church to stand in this time. Oh, for the church to shake the gates of hell in this day. Oh, for the church to advance the kingdom of God in this day. We need power, Lord. Oh, so Holy Spirit, breathe upon us. Oh, blow upon your church even now, God. Oh, come on, do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Jesus. Jesus, touch your people. Touch your people. Oh, that when we preach, all oh, ears are turned. Oh, that when we share the gospel, hearts are surrendered. Oh, that when we pray for the sick, the sick are healed, Lord. Jesus. Oh, when we pray against strongholds, strongholds are broken because the Spirit is flowing in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, pour it out, we ask, Lord. Come on right now, join me as a church corporately that we would turn from our wicked ways. Oh, that we would practice repentance in this place. Come on, right now, our nation is in an uproar. Oh, there is violence and there is rioting. Why? Because there is racism that has not been dealt with, that has boiled to the surface. And I know here on the islands, racism looks a little different, but it's still real and it's still here. As a church, can we repent that we have not done our parts to bring a message of unity? Can we repent that we have not done our part to stand for all people? Can we repent that we have not done our part to draw all peoples together who can stand together equally in the sight of the Lord? Come on, Lord, we repent of this in Jesus' name. Oh, forgive us, Lord. Oh, forgive us and humble us, God. Oh, that we have not done our part as a church. God, give us a message of unity. God, give us a ministry of reunification. Jesus, God, we turn from this, Lord. No longer can we just sit by and say, oh, well, justice will do its work. No, Lord, let us be the ones who would rescue the needy. Let us be the ones who would deliver the oppressed. Let us be the ones to be a voice for the voiceless, Lord. We repent of that. Come on, as a church, can we repent of turning a blind eye to sin in our midst, just accepting it and being okay with it, rather than confronting sin and addressing sin? Come on, we repent of this, Lord. We repent of this in Jesus' name. Let us as a church get things right. Let us as a church hold one another accountable. Oh, let us as a church, God, deal with what's going on within our walls. Oh, that we might impact the culture outside of our walls. Jesus. Come on, can we as a church repent of worshiping tradition rather than worshiping God? Of doing it the old way. Of doing what's comfortable for us rather than fulfilling the mission God has given us. Come on, Lord, we repent. We repent for worshiping anything other than you. We repent, God, for worshiping styles and forms and traditions. God, we repent for worshiping times and places and locations rather than lifting you up, Lord, and making it all about you. We repent, Lord, 
Oh, that we have made a the church a country club for the healthy instead of a hospital for the sick. Make us a hospital again, Lord. Let it not be about our comfort, God. Oh, let it be about binding up the wounded. Seeing people find transformation and freedom, Lord. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Can we pray right now that God would heal our lands? And whatever that might look like where you live and in what consequences the culture is facing. Oh, Lord, we cry out, heal our lands. Pour out your spirit upon this place, Lord. Oh, give us victory over the spiritual strongholds. Even right here on Kauai, God, give us breakthrough over the spirits that have ruled this island. Jesus. Oh, we rebuke the spirit of suicide. We rebuke the spirit of addiction. We rebuke the spirit of silence. We rebuke the spirit of shame. We rebuke the spirit of, of, of addiction and abuse and violence. We rebuke it in Jesus' name. Come on. Lord, heal our land. Heal our land. Let the people of Kauai be drawn to the light of your love, Lord. Let there be a great revival of salvations. We thank you for this, Jesus. Thank you for this, Jesus. Let this be a place of restoration. Come on, Lord, let Kauai Bible Church, not just this building that we're filming in, but even our, our land, Lord, our fields, all the acreage that we own, let it be a place of restoration. Let it be a place where families are made whole, where families come back together, where families find hope again, where people experience truth and can build their life upon the truth. Come on, Lord. Make it so. Make it so, Lord. Jesus, we cry out to you. We cry out to you. Come and heal our land, Lord. We are your people facing the consequences in our culture of all the ways we have abandoned you. And so as your people called by your name, we humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and we turn from our wicked ways. So Lord, forgive our sins. We heal our land. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.